0: You're listening to the King's Church D.C. podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington, D.C. and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, over the last seven months, we have been trekking through. We've been gliding through the book of Romans or the letter to the Romans. And we've seen some big topics in our journey over the last seven or eight months together, haven't we, this, this morning? We've seen things like original sin and justification by faith. Uh, we've seen things like Israel. We've, we've seen things like substitutionary atonement and life in the Spirit. We've things, seen, th- seen things like Christian ethics, how we should relate to government, how we should connect with with others in light of the gospel 24 Sundays to get through this book and this morning by God's grace we're finishing the book of Romans now little did you know but one of the hardest things about prepping for each Sunday isn't necessarily the the passage itself or even perhaps the nuances of the passages or or perhaps we might even say the high theology that we find in the book of Romans. Often, more often than not, one of the hardest things about prepping each week is preparing openers, preparing the opener. Uh, Now, what's an opener? Well, if you're new, up on the screen, you're gonna see what I mean. These, I think, are some of our greatest hits (laughs) over the last 24 weeks or so. We have everything from Grimace to Taylor Swift, from jury duty to al michael's to fantasy football to tiktok trends to instagram reels and to mysterious islands we've all been blessed we might say with some really great content over the last 24 weeks an opener is pretty much a way to help us to connect a little bit better to the passage to to help us to get our minds around the passage just a little bit better some of these just kind of fell in our lap, but uh, others of these were pretty tough to, to come up with. Now, this morning up on the screen is the final opener for the final chapter of Romans 16. And it, of course, is an end credits in a movie or a TV show. Now with the exception of Marvel Studios stuff, most people, most people never stay for the credits or the opening or I should say the end uh, uh, scroll of, of a movie or TV show. End credits are basically the, the list of names. Sometimes it's, it's thank you, sometimes it's just a bit of a, a shout out, but it's usually uh, a big list of names that are irrelevant to us. And it scrolls on and on and on and on. And so most of us when we're in a theater or when we're, we're watching a, a TV show in our bed or at our home, we say there's no more content, and we say this is irrelevant to us, and so we're done, and we turn it off. Now, Romans 16, our passage this morning, is a lot like end credits. <laughs> it's basically just a list of names, and a, a, a lot of shout-outs, and a lot of parting words. And so what most people do is they get to this chapter, and they think, this is irrelevant for us. This is... There's no more content in this particular chapter for me, and so they turn it off. But this morning, as believers, we'll see that this isn't just a boring end credits scroll for us at the end of Romans. We're going to see that these shout-outs, these these thank-yous, these parting words in Romans 16 are really, really relevant to us. They're filled with content for our souls we might say the movie is not over. In fact, actually the opposite is true. Romans 16 is the end of the chapter, the end of the movie, but it's actually a preview of the movement. It's a preview of the movement to come. And that movement, of course, this morning is, if you find yourself in Christ, that movement is something you're part of. That movement is the mission of God. The mission of God. And that mission is that God is at work even up until this morning. God is at work in the world redeeming people to himself by the power of his spirit through Jesus Christ, by us, his church. Through us, his church. God is at work through his people, us, his church, to bring salvation, to bring restoration and freedom to this world. And he's doing it by his spirit through us, his church. And even though we've never met these people that we're going we're gonna to be exposed to here in Romans 16, God is saying something to us this morning through them, through their efforts, through the shout outs, through the thank yous, and through the parting words. My main idea is really going to capture that idea. It's really the main idea of this chapter. and It's going to be up on the screen. It's this. Participate in God's mission. Participate in God's Mission. God is inviting you and I this morning into his work in the world to line up our schedules with his work, to line up our lives with his work, to line up our relationships with his work, our hopes, our dreams, our end game with his will, with the purposes in the gospel for the world. Jesus himself says, whoever wants to save his or her life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake and the gospel will find it. At the end of the day, Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a full contact sport. It's not about browsing, but it's about building, and it's about belonging. My points are also going to be up on the screen. It's going to flow right from this passage here at King's Church. We, we look at difficult passages of the Bible. We try not to skip over passages. We think that there's often gems in those passages, and this would be Uh, a a great example of that. Number one, shout-outs in the mission. We're going to see that in the first 16 verses. We'll skip a little bit ahead, and we'll see that in uh, a couple other verses towards the end of the book, and then we'll also see truth for the mission. We'll see that in a couple verses towards the end of the book. Let's look at this first point, shout-outs in the the mission. So the Apostle Paul, he's been talking to us for seven months about what is the gospel. How does it work in every area of our lives? How does it work in the world? At times, he's been very complex with with kind of high theology and great concepts. At other times, he's been very practical. And now what we're going to see is that the great apostle has a huge heart for people. He has a lot of friends. He has a lot of people who are joined in on the same mission that he has. And so he's going to give shout-outs to over 30 different people. He essentially wants the churches at Rome who, who would be receiving this letter to say, hey, Paul says, hey. Paul says to say what's up to some of his closest friends in Christ who were in the Roman churches. Many of, those, uh, many, many of them would have been in the trenches with Paul in the past in the mission of the gospel. Now, we don't know much about these people, so I won't speculate too much, but we do know some of these are really, really hard names, as, as Sarah attested to. This is probably not the passage you would go to if you were looking for, for names for, for a newborn, <laughs> w- with the exception of maybe uh, a Mary and maybe Phoebe. Uh, so if, if there's any uh, Rufuses or a, a, a synchronituses in this room <laughs> this morning, I apologize <laughs> in advance. Uh, some of these are going to be Greek names, some of these are going to be Jewish names, and a few of these are going to be Latin names. They're going to be male, they're going to be female, married, single, old, young, rich, poor. But they're all friends of Paul. They're all connected to God's mission and God's work in the world. And so let's dive in first, Phoebe, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So Paul commends her. He endorses her to the churches at Rome. It's likely that when this letter arrived, Phoebe arrived with it. That means she's probably likely carrying the original copy of the letter to the Romans, or the book of Romans. She's picked that up from Paul in Corinth, which is, which is modern-day Greece, and she's brought it to the churches at Rome, which would have been quite the task, right? There is no uh, UPS back then or or FedEx back then. Paul says to welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to help her out with whatever she may need, for she's been so helpful to others as well, verse 2, meaning that the Christians there should should welcome her with all honor, with all grace, knowing that she's been brought to the table by the grace of God, just like they were. Now notice, too, she's also connected to the church at Sancrea. That's her specific church. Sancrea is just outside of Corinth. It was an old port city. Her name's also Greek, and she's probably pretty well off. She's believed in the Messiah, and now she's participating in his work in the world. Next, the passage goes on, and we see a married couple, Prisca, or sometimes called Priscilla, and Aquila, verse 3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their neck for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Paul says to say, hey, say hello to Prisca and Aquila. He says they've been in the trenches with me for the sake of the gospel. They've opened themselves up to risk for the sake of the mission of God. And he says him and a lot of the churches are thankful to them. So to say make sure you say hello to them. Now Prisca and Aquila we know some about, they were a Jewish couple who had become Christians. They had believed in Jesus as the Messiah. Paul had met them earlier in Corinth. Uh, history would tell us that Emperor Claudius, who was a, a Roman emperor, he sent out an order that, that kicked out all of the Jews in Rome. There's essentially, uh, Roman history would tell us that there was uh, a theological controversy. The Romans had heard there was this guy named Crestus, who had claimed to be the son of God, and that the Jews were arguing. They had a theological argument about him. And so Claudius said, enough, and he kicked out all the Jews from Rome. And so they end up in Corinth, Prisca and Aquila. They meet Paul. They become Christians, and and the, the Bible eventually tells us that they meet this other guy, a young preacher named Apollos. They bring him in their house, and they mentor him, and he becomes this kind of early famous Christian pastor. Now, I just want to mention that Prisca and Aquila are always mentioned together, They have a single purpose as a couple that governs their life, and they always seem to make a big splash for the glory of God and his mission in the world. Paul also mentions to say hello to the church in their house, verse 5. Apparently they had uh, opened their home to having a church meet in their house, verse 5. Greet also the church in their house. This wasn't too uncommon back then for the first 300 years or so of Christian history. The early Christians never had a a set place like today we have where you go to a church building, but instead they would meet in homes. Uh, House churches back then, as they should be today, weren't anti-pastor or anti-structure. They were just churches that met in homes. This, I guess, is a sports bar church. Uh, Before we met here, we were a school church. Before that, we were a hotel church. And before that, we were a house church. It didn't mean we didn't have structure or that we didn't have pastors or that we were just a prayer gathering. It just referred to where we met. As the shout-outs continue, we, we're going to know less and less about the people here. We see uh, Apenetis, verse 5. Greet my beloved Apainetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. That is the, in the province of Asia, which would be modern-day Turkey. Verse 6, greet Mary. Who has worked hard for you this is not the 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 mother of jesus or the other marys we see in the gospel but this is a different mary who's working hard for the mission of god in ministry verse 7 we're going to meet another married couple greet andronicus and junia my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners they are well known to the apostles and they were in christ before me very similar to prisca very similar to aquila they're on the front lines of the mission of god they're well known to the apostles. Their lives are centered together on something that can never spoil, perish, or fade. Verse 8, a guy, uh, greet Ampelitis, my beloved in the Lord. Beloved meaning it's his good friend. He's like, this is my good friend in Christ. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachius. These are two guys Paul is apparently synced up with. They're they're good friends with him in the mission and in God's work. Verse 10, Greet Apollaeus, who is approved in Christ. There's probably a story there. Perhaps this guy uh, struggled with that, but he says he's approved in Christ. Verse 10, greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Uh, Arist- Aristobulus, greet my kinsman Herodian. Some would say that this could be the, the Aristob. I-, I can't say that word, Aristobulus, who was the grandson of Herod the Great. And the idea there seems to be strengthened a little bit by the next verse with this, this guy named Herodian, which seems to be connected to the, to the Herod name. In any case, he's talking about people who were likely slaves that had become believers in Christ, and now he sees them as brothers and sisters. Verse 11, another household. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Not a great name. Uh, <laughs> verse 12, two women. Likely sisters, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphania and Tryphosa, I do like those names. Uh, verse 12, another woman, greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord, just like Mary, and, and all the other girls working hard for the sake of the gospel. Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well reminds us of the words of Jesus in the Gospels, where he's asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he points to the disciples and says, look, these are my mothers and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of God in heaven is my brother and my mother and my sister. We need two sets or friend groups, verse 14 and 15. Greet Asynchronitus, Flagon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. This is all Greek, uh, uh, Greek male names. There's a set of uh, Christian guys that Paul was friends with. Verse 15, greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. This is a set of Christian guys and a set of Christian girls verse 21 picks up. We're going to skip ahead just a little bit. Picks up with the shout-outs, but this time it's shout-outs from some of the people that Paul was with to the believers in Rome who would have been receiving this letter, verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, so do Lucius and Jason and Sosib- uh, my kinsman. Now we know a lot about Timothy. He's Paul's mentee, one of Paul's um, uh, main mentees. He goes on to pastor a church in Ephesus. We have a a letter, the the book of Ephesians, or the letter to the Ephesians, and he also has two books in the Bible, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, that were written to him. Lucius and Jason and Sosibiter are close friends with Paul. They're connected to, again, the, the same mission and the same purpose. Verse 22 I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. That is Paul's assistant. He's been transcribing the letter to the Romans. He also says to say hello. And verse 23. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greets you. Interesting, if you go to ancient Corinth today, you'll still see Erastus' name inscribed in a 2,000-year-old in a wall as he was a civil servant to the city, and most importantly, a brother in Christ. Now, what do we learn about all these shout-outs? Why is this relevant to you today. What is the point? What is the point? Well, I think a few things. I think we learn a couple things from all these shout-outs. Number one, it shows us the power of the gospel. It shows us the power of the gospel. The way that Paul's talking here is a whole nother reality. He's talking to a a group of people that are from all different places from all over the map. people that make different amounts of money, people who make no money, people who have different skin colors, male or female, married or not married, and he seems like he's paying no attention to any of that. You're Greek, you're Jewish, you're male, you're female, you're married, you're single, you work at one, two, three, you work at XYZ, you're black, you're white. Paul's focus is none of that. It's not that it's not important to him, it's just that it's not ultimate to him anymore. The gospel has changed him, and it's changed everybody he's giving a shout-out to. Their main identity isn't in those things anymore. Their, Their main identity is now who they are in Jesus Christ. Those things are the main things that now define them. But the main thing is who they are through Jesus Christ. Paul's swimming in that reality, and that's the reality that this morning we swim in as believers. We don't seek to identify ourselves by what we lack or by what we can achieve or by what we have done. Instead, as believers, the gospel reminds us we identify ourselves by what we've received in him, what he has done on our behalf, by his grace on the cross for us. And as a result, we have unity. We have unity. We have unity around something that's bigger than any other thing. And this, of course, is life in the kingdom of God, and it means that the Lord and his work are at the center of our lives. Galatians 3 says it like this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. You are all one in Jesus Christ. Another thing that these these shout-outs shows us, it teaches us closely related to this, this first point is that the gospel itself transforms our ethic. The gospel transforms our ethic. Not only does the gospel transform us, not only does it give us a new identity, but it also changes the way we relate to each other. The shout outs show that true Christian community here is shaped by the gospel. We welcome one another even if someone is mildly a stranger to you because God in Christ has welcomed you. Romans 15. We honor one another even if the other person doesn't totally deserve the honor because we've been honored. We've been raised up in Christ, Romans 12. We love one another because God has loved us, Romans 12. We forgive each other. We don't hold grudges because God has forgiven us and because he is not holding a grudge this morning. We serve each other. We do ministry together because we're the body of Christ together. And we show affection to each other in our own cultural ways and things like odd side hugs and handshakes because, verse 16, greet each other with a holy kiss because God has shown affection to us. The gospel transforms not only us, but it transforms our ethic. And that's so clear in these shout-outs. A third thing that these these shout-outs teach us this morning is that the church has been blessed, sustained, and built up throughout its history by unsung heroes. The church has been blessed, sustained, and built up through its history by unsung heroes. An unsung hero would be someone who doesn't get any credit. They're people who have served quietly and without the lust of recognition. A historian by the name of Stephen Neal says that nothing is more remarkable about the spread of the gospel in the first century than its anonymity. We don't know much about these shout outs, because in the eyes of the world, there's probably not much there. And maybe even in the eyes of the church, maybe all that these, these people did really isn't really even known. But it's people like this, people that set their hearts on serving the Lord, and all that they do that God has used for centuries to build his church. Your name may never be known to this world, or the church, But the good news this morning is that the great shepherd, our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, knows your name. He sees your work for him. It's not in vain. Others might miss it, but he sees it, and he's using all of it for his glory. A fourth and final thing that these shout-outs might teach us this morning is that it shows us that mature Christianity is not being separate from the body of Christ. Mature Christianity is not being separate from the body of Christ. Notice maybe the greatest Christian of them all, the greatest missionary of them all, Paul, he's not living independent. He's not a man on his own island. He's got lots and lots of friends around him. He's connected to the body of Christ, to the church. A lot of Christians can dupe themselves today, they think that the highest spirituality is being connected to God somewhere outside of the church, being alone with God on a mountaintop, disconnected from his people. But when Paul gives these shout-outs to us, he gives these shout-outs to people over and over and over again, the thing he keeps praising them for is not only their devotion to God, but their devotion to one another that they're connected to each other, that they're connected to his mission together. The point is this morning is that true spirituality isn't necessarily all about your giftings and your talents or how much you do for God. True spirituality is often also about how you are connected to his body, to his church, how how you're participating in his mission, his ministry with his people, his church. Which means this morning, If you're in Christ this morning, be very cautious about disconnecting yourself from God's people, defining spirituality on your own terms, disconnecting yourself from the mission of God. Be very cautious about that little voice of self-importance, the voice that tells you you're too busy for the people of God. Be very cautious about that little voice of condemnation that tells you your sins are too deep and that you're not welcome here. Don't listen to those voices. You've been redeemed. Jesus Christ has died for you. He's purchased your freedom. He's he's been raised to life, and he's raised you to life by his Spirit. You're part of this. You're part of his mission, his global mission to restore and to redeem the world through his church. Now, as this passage closes, we see some final parting words here in Romans. After seven months of Paul telling us, what is the gospel? How does it work into every area of our lives? How is it working in the world? Paul's going to take one more pass. One more pass at making sure they're keeping the main thing the main thing. And this leads us to our final point this morning, truth for the mission. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you." Paul thinks what could possibly go wrong for a church? What could possibly go wrong for a Christian? What could possibly stall someone's participation in the mission of God? What could possibly make Christians lose their unity, lose their ethic, quit out on the mission of God, be on the sidelines in the mission of God? And the answer is pretty fierce. It's the possibility Of people who in the church cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught verse 17 now that word doctrine is a word that a lot of people don't like it's a negative word in our culture but it simply just means teachings in context it means the sum of the teachings about who God is about who we are about how we get connected to God about who Jesus Christ is about what is the gospel if someone says, Well, I don't believe in, in doctrine, I don't I don't like doctrine, I just I just follow Jesus, it's going to be very tough for that person to explain who Jesus is without starting to give you some doctrine. But Paul says here as he closes, what could possibly go wrong for a church? What could possibly go wrong for Christians? What could possibly stall someone's participation in God's mission? And he says here it's the possibility of people who distort the gospel. People who, who want to demote the gospel. People who would want to replace the gospel. And by doing so, create divisions that trip up people in the church. Notice he says, watch out for them and avoid them. That means don't listen to them. Don't pay attention to them. Don't give them an audience. Mute not talking about your atheist neighbor, he's not talking about your secular colleague, but he's talking about the possibility of the person who says they're in Christ but creates division and trips people up over settled doctrine. He's fiercer because he knows that unity, our unity, our participation in mission, our identity, none of that is possible without the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center. He wants us to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil, verse 19. That is, keep learning about how to do good. Keep learning about how to love and to glorify God and to completely have nothing to do with the evil that's not in sync with the gospel. And he promises as he closes, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He says that the truth will win out. That gospel will prevail. As we close out this book, as we close out this series, I should say, we're, we're reminded this morning that Romans is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is not good advice about what you must do. The gospel is good news about what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. The gospel this morning is not that you're saved by being a good person, The gospel this morning is that God saves us by his sheer grace. And the gospel this morning is not you depending on your commitment to God, but it's you depending on his commitment to you. His undying love, his persevering love for you in Jesus Christ. The book of Romans says that God has done something for us in Jesus Christ. And it's unlike anything else out there. Everything else out there says you essentially have to muster up your own righteousness. You have to present your morality, your good works, your good deeds. You have to muster that up and one day present that to God, and hopefully he'll accept you into his heaven. But the gospel is that God has come down to us, and he's given us his very own righteousness, a righteousness that is in Jesus Christ for you and I the one who saves us, the one who gives us his own life. And the Bible says the way that we connect to that is the very same way that Jesus accomplished it, by surrender, by trusting in the the, the will of God, by giving ourselves up to all that God is. He says that's how we connect to it, by faith, by faith alone. We receive all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. As far as the east is from the west, He removes our sin from us. He gives us his spirit and he raises us to life. If you're in here this morning and perhaps you don't know the Lord in that way, I'd encourage you to trust him this morning. Perhaps this morning if you've been on the sidelines to God's mission, I want to welcome you back into his work. It's the most exciting work in the world, a brotherhood and a a sisterhood that is global around the world working for the sake of Of his name. He loves you this morning. He's given himself for us this morning. If you would, pray with me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kings Church DC Podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.